All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. What is going on? Pete Callender here. And I want to welcome to the program Dr. William Forsgen. He is a professor of history at Montreat College in Western North Carolina. He's also the author of uh, somewhere around, uh, what, 50-plus books or something now? Um, One Second After was the New York Times bestselling uh, book and uh, uh, brought him on to talk about uh, one of his most recent books, Day of Wrath. And full disclosure, when I was in Asheville, he was the official historian of the Pete Callender Show. Bill, how are you? Hey, it's been a while, Pete. How yeah. are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, trying to write another book and trying to stay cool. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Uh, can you tell us what the next one might be about? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, writing books is sort of like pistachio nuts. You always got to do another one. Uh, this one <laughs> is the fourth book in what would be the uh, One Second After series. You're doing a fourth? Yeah, uh, you know, in The Godfather, that great line, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. I I understand. I completely yeah, understand. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I understand. So, uh, and if you haven't read the, the book, highly recommended, one second after it uh, takes place in uh, Black Mountain, Montreat area, uh, Asheville area, and it's what happens uh, in the event of an EMP getting detonated over the East Coast, right? So, uh, also, right, Pillar to the Sky, if you're into the NASA stuff, that's a that's a really cool book as well. It's just And a lot of historical books as well. But I wanted to bring you on to talk about the piece that you wrote for the Washington Times. Um, and let me start with a, with a sentence that you write. It's, it's towards the end of the piece. You say, one answer is, I think, all too obvious, but to date, few have had the courage and the common sense to offer it. So what is the obvious common sense solution to mass shootings at schools? Armed teachers. And let me emphasize right at the start, because the unions really climb on my neck over this. I'm not advocating arm all teachers or even a few. I want to see a select few teachers, preferably with military or law enforcement backgrounds, going through vetting first, and then extensive training, not 24 hours of training. We're talking about a couple of weeks of hardcore training with refresher courses, armed two or three teachers in every school. They are anonymous. If they start boasting about it, fire it. You know, keep it anonymous. They then become the unknown factor if a bad guy comes into the school and wants to do something. He won't know who it is that might take him down. You know, this this kind of idea might work also on airplanes. Have you considered that? It's already being done. <laughs> it's been done for years. When was the last time we had an airplane hijacking? 9-11. Right, exactly. None since then. And that's not TSA doing their job, which can be rather annoying, but they claim they're doing something. Is that there are air marshals and a select number of pilots have a weapon. That's it. Plain and simple. It's over with. Right. So to be clear, and you, you mentioned this, but we want to emphasize that this is not forcing all teachers no. to arm. This is completely voluntary. People who wish to do so would volunteer to do so. And volunteer is just the first step. Then they have to be vetted. If it turns out to be negative in some way, don't include them. Mm-hmm. Then those who are selected are trained, trained, trained. 
and compensate them. Pay them an extra five or 10000 a year. It will still be cheaper than putting a resource officer in the school. Right. So what of the criticism? Uh, Bill, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a teacher. Huh. I've been a teacher for 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. So at, at all levels, middle school, high school, um, and obviously now at Montree College for years and years. Um, and uh, by the way, for folks who are still listening in the Western North Carolina area, uh, you still let people audit the classroom, right? Uh, come in and, and, and sit in? Uh, unfortunately, no. Oh. Uh, we, we had to curtail that a couple of years ago. Uh, I wish it would continue, but that's the way things are. But we had a good run for 25 years of doing that. Yeah. Um, so this, when I when I saw the story out of Texas um, and the school shooting, the first thing I thought was Newtown, Connecticut, the similarities there. Right. But I, but I also then thought of your book, Day of Wrath. Uh, mm-hmm. Very disturbing book, um, but modeled off of an actual occurrence. And... Um, and this is what I think a lot of people probably are not aware. Um, this is where my mind goes when I hear of these types of uh, of incidents. And we have not suffered one that has been carried out by, uh, you know, actual trained uh, terrorists, right? We, we haven't seen that. But your opinion is that's just a matter of time. I modeled the book, Day of Wrath, on the Beslan, B-E-S-L-A-N, incident. People could look it up. 2004, in Russia, terrorists seized a school and proceeded to murder over 200 children. It was a horrifying incident. There have been plans uncovered in Afghanistan during the years when we still operated there before we got out. Uh, you take three terrorists, seize a school, Islamic terrorists, And inside of 15 to 20 minutes, they could kill most of the children in that school with the policies we now have of, oh, lock the door, lay down on the floor, and act like you're going to sleep, which is, in fact, what one of the teachers who was injured two weeks, three weeks ago did. I told my children to lie down on the floor and act like they're going to sleep. They went into a permanent sleep. All 11 of them were killed. Terrorists could do the same thing, and it would be the most traumatic event in America since 9-11, maybe even worse, because it's our innocent children who are paying the price. Well, and when I read the stories afterwards of the way the police prevented parents from oh. getting into the school, it, it read uh, like I'd read this before. You you told very sim- a very similar story. You gamed this out in the book that that would occur. Uh, parents would rush to the schools and mayhem would ensue in fact it killed me when i heard how the police were holding parents back and even arresting a couple of them i did the exact same thing in writing a novel that parents rushed to the school and the police are trying to block them from going in they're panic-stricken parents but some of them were armed now i'm not advocating parents rushing a school no if you already have in place several people inside that school who, again, are anonymous, but can act when the time comes. Uh, the, uh, the book is called Day of Wrath, and by the way, if folks are interested, they can, um, they can also uh, order it, right? Day of Wrath uh, is the uh, website as well. Um, but I also recommend uh, just with 50 books, Bill's got something for you. And uh, I want to have you back on the program at some point. Uh, we used to do our Gettysburg uh, episodes. So, yes, uh, 
I miss working with you, Pete. Yeah, well, most people do. You don't have to sound surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, bring me in someday. <laughs> All righty. Uh, Dr. William Forreston, uh, appreciate your time. As always, best-selling author, Montreal College. Uh, and you can read his uh, op-ed at the Washington Times, Train and Arm Teachers. They would be the unknown factor in every single school. Dr. Bill, it's always great talking to you. God bless you, Pete. Take care. Take you care. too, sir. Appreciate it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Thanks again to Dr. Bill Forstchen. Uh, that's F-O-R-S-T-C-H-E-N. Author of One Second After. That's exciting. He's doing a fourth book. If you've never read One Second After, it's kind of terrifying. And then he did two more books. And so it's a trilogy. And now he's doing the fourth. So exciting. All right. Um, I mean, in, in, a, in a sad way. Because the books or the stories were sad. Um, the and, and I talked with uh, Dr. Bill when um, he released Day of Wrath initially, and um, the the bad places he had to go, like online. He didn't physically go, but in order to do the research to know what an attack would look like based on. ISIS and the uh, the Chechen terrorists in Russia, the Beslan, just, I mean, very, very dark places, very bad places. And uh, that informs the story, but that's, I mean, that's what he charts out. It's, it's sort of like a historical fiction kind of a thing. Like this, here's, even with the one second after, which the, the name, as the name implies, an EMP goes off, you know, whether it's a nuclear bomb or just an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse, and it knocks out all of the, uh, all of our computers and everything else. What happens then? Like, what does that look like? And that was all based on a congressional investigation, a report that was generated, but got bigfooted by uh, the announced conclusion of the 9-11 commission. But this report came out and it had all of these stats and details and, you know, game theory, if you will, like these these ideas of how things would look and what systems would break down and all that. And uh, and he used that to help inform his uh, his book one second after. So uh, it's he's a very great he's a great storyteller. So if you have a chance, go check him out. Great Father's Day presents, by the way. Great Father's Day presents um, on the school shooter topic. And I'm going to use this to kind of pivot as well into uh, into some larger crime issues here in uh, Charlotte. But the, uh, you know me, I'm all about solutions, all about them. And so I want to give a shout out to Truliant, the Truliant Foundation. It's the bank, right? Um, they announced today that it's going to donate uh, $25,000 to a mentorship program in Charlotte called The Mail's Place. The Mail's Place. The donation is going to help support the program for boys who are black, ages 12 to 18, who are building life skills by developing and managing a community garden. The Males Place offers a holistic curriculum. It incorporates educational, spiritual, agricultural, social, civic, recreational, and cultural enrichment education opportunities. Reggie Singleton is the founder and executive director of the Males Place, and um he says that it's a mentorship program. It works to grow more than plants. He says, quote, we are growing men. 
We want to ensure that participants in our program grow up to be producers and not just consumers. Community gardens are not just a way to beautify cities. They foster relationships and they teach life skills. So this nonprofit organization, again, it's called The Mail's Place. It's been around since 1993. They take in about two dozen boys, and uh, a lot of them uh, have grown up without fathers. And then they have a bunch of men who volunteer, and they're critical to the mentoring success. Wednesdays, Wednesday evenings, 6 to 8, they learn life skills, um, cultural enrichment. Uh, They're taught um, African history, recent American history that's specific to black people. Uh, Every Saturday morning, they gather at the Males Place Garden at the Fred Alexander Park to work on the garden. The program has two growing seasons. Uh, and then on the fourth Wednesday of each month, uh, all of the uh, the boys are required to wear a shirt and tie and attend the meeting with their parents. So their Wednesday meetings. And uh, also most of the food that's produced in the garden goes to the boys in the program and their families. Or it'll be provided to local seniors and low-income members of the community. Sounds like a great program. I was not even aware this uh, program existed, has for more than 25 years, um, and has provided skills and opportunities to more than 4,000 boys in the Charlotte community uh, since it was created. So good for them and uh, good for Truliant for for kicking in money to help that program. Um, Speaking of uh, speaking of young men, what happens when you bring a gun to Charlotte Mecklenburg schools? And generally, these are young men that are doing it. What happens? Charlotte Observer, Peyton Guion, 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 I think is how he pronounces that. Anyway, Charlotte Mecklenburg schools just closed the school year with the dubious distinction of setting a record for the most guns ever recorded on campuses in a single school year. Authorities found 30 firearms. Most of that came in the first half of the year. Um, the Charlotte Observer reported that CMS's gun problem is not new. Between 2010 and 2021, Mecklenburg County Schools reported 323 firearm complaints um, against Mecklenburg County students younger than age 18. And uh, that is by far the most of any North Carolina county in that span. So from 2010 to 2021, so what is that, 11 years uh, there were 323 firearm complaints. So by my math, what's that about? 10 years, about 30 a year, right? So, yeah, it's kind of on, on track of where we were. The school district and police have declined to, uh, to describe this in detail. Uh, this being, what happens to the kids who commit gun offenses on school campuses? The Charlotte Observer says, CMS and CMPD didn't describe what happens, but the state gives some clues. And then the observer tells us what those clues are. I'll tell you what they are in a minute. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Charlotte Observer story headline, What Happens to Students Caught Bringing Guns to Mecklenburg County Schools? Pieces written by Peyton Guion. 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 Um, well, how would you pronounce it? G-U-I-O-N. Guion. Maybe that's it. 
Guion, like the uh, TV channel, Ion, right? Anyway, uh, what happens to the kids who commit gun offenses on school camp high? What happens to them? The school district and police, he says, have declined to describe this in detail, which is a charitable way. He's being charitable. He's being nice. Or she. I don't know. Um, yeah, because they always do the bio at the end, but I chopped them off. I apologize. Anyway, so the Peyton, the reporter, uh, is being nice. They're saying that they declined to comment. They're, I would say they refuse. They refuse to describe what happens to the kids. The state data gives some clues, though. It shows that nearly one-third of school-based firearm complaints do not go to court. So two-thirds do, but one-third do not go to court. I don't know what the context of that is. Is that, uh, is that a better rate or a worse rate than the population at large? I don't know. I have nothing to compare that to. I have no, so here's a, good, here's a good rule of thumb. Um, it's, I'll get there. This analogy does work. Trust me. Reporting on wildfires. You will hear news people report on wildfires, and they will say, you know, 1,000 acres. 10,000 acres. Do you have any idea what that looks like? Most people, especially city folk, do not know what one acre looks like, let alone 50,000 acres, right? Just it's, it's a very large piece of land. So one thing you could do as a reporter is to say, that's about the size of, and then you go and you find a city that is roughly the same size. And, and then people have sort of an understanding that's how much territory has burned. So context, an analogy, um, giving some idea so you, so you know what is one-third versus two-thirds. Is that better? Is it worse? Data obtained by the observer from the Department of Public Safety shows that 68% of the complaints end up in juvenile court. 68%. Another 16% of the cases get dismissed and another 16% get diverted, meaning the kid usually has to go do like some community service. Uh, They get like an action plan, uh, but they avoid going to court, right? So 32% does not go to court. One third does not go to court. 68% end up in juvenile court. Diversion can include a lot of things. It generally involves, quote, connecting a kid with resources in the community in lieu of going to court. A student and a parent enter into an agreement, and if the conditions are met, they do not have to appear in court. If those conditions are not met, then the kid might have to go to court. And the diversion plan lasts no longer than six months. So that's what happens. That's a diversion plan. Which, again, 16% of cases are dismissed. 16% are diverted, and the other two-thirds go to juvenile court. Um, The 16% of the cases that got dismissed without going to court, no diversion plan, uh, It's according to the report here, it's not clear why so many cases were dismissed. To protect the identities of minors, juvenile cases are not made public. Makes it very difficult. Youth violence experts say it's important for school districts and state officials to work with people and organizations in the community to get the best results for such kids. That's why I mentioned the True Lion uh, press release uh, information with the mail's place. 
it's a good program. Seems like it. Um, and so I want to, you know, you celebrate the things that you want to see more of. So what about the cases that go to court? Well, because they're juveniles, we don't get access to the records. But what can we look at as sort of a comparative? Well, here you go. The district attorney, Mecklenburg County District Attorney Spencer Merriweather, he just put out a press release. His office just put out a press release uh, yesterday. Actually, they put out three press releases giving final disposition accounts. How did these cases resolve? So here was the headline on one. Uh, Homicide trial ends with guilty plea. And by the way, I applaud the DA's office for putting these out. I appreciate this. I read these. Because you got to get a sense of what's going on in the court system. And short of going and actually sitting in every trial and monitoring all of the trials and that sort of thing, you, how do we know what's happening in the courts, right? So I applaud the DA for putting these out. And you'll, you will hear, they're not all wins. These are not all wins for the DA's office. So, uh, first, homicide trial ends with a guilty plea. Mangasha Dion Clark Jr. pleaded guilty to the 2017 murder of a 14-year-old named Anthony Frazier. They started the trial. He was charged with first-degree murder. During the presentation of the state's evidence, the defendant uh, decided to go ahead and enter a guilty plea and took the deal, second-degree murder. So he was on trial for first-degree. They saw the evidence. Didn't look too good. They took the deal. Second-degree murder. The judge then sent Judge Bell, Robert Bell, Superior Court, sentenced the defendant to 150 months to 192 months. That's the way they always do these things in the months. And so, don't worry, I did the calculations for you. That's 12 and a half to 16 years, roughly. A first-degree homicide charge. First degree, premeditated, murdered a guy, murdered a kid, a 14-year-old. And uh, this guy, he's 24, so he'll be out at age 40 at the latest. There's a co-defendant in the case. Charges remain pending against him. Um, what else? The Oh, yeah, here we go. Next headline. Felony crimes team tries one defendant, six plead guilty. So there's one trial and then six guilty pleas. And these are the felony crimes team. This is a division, I guess, of the DA's office. They focus on felony crimes. Lots of gun charges in this group. I'll tell you how they worked out. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Mecklenburg County's district attorney putting out a series of press releases yesterday talking about uh, the results of several different trials and uh, and charges that were filed. So they just kind of send these all out under, the, uh, under one headline. Felony crimes team tries one defendant, six plead guilty. The Mecklenburg DA's office felony crimes team tried one defendant during a trial session held during the week of June 6th. Six other defendants entered guilty pleas. So, uh, listen to this one. Matthew Winfrey, 53 years old, he went on trial for trafficking meth by possession. That means you had a lot of it. 
And so you get charged with the trafficking. Also charged with possession with intent to sell or deliver cocaine, possession with intent to sell or deliver MDA, MDMA, and possession with the intent to sell or deliver heroin. And felony carrying a concealed gun. The jury found Winfrey not guilty. Beat the rap. Next up, Nasir Sharif, 22, pled guilty, was char- as charged to first-degree burglary, possession of burglary tools, three counts of felony breaking and entering, four counts of larceny after breaking or entering, larceny of a firearm, resisting a public officer, possession of a stolen gun. There's another gun. He got sentenced to five to seven years. Miles Gray, 57, he pleaded guilty to trafficking in heroin by possession. He got six to eight years. Rutilo Soto Penaloza, 31. He pled guilty to trafficking in meth. He got seven to ten. And then there were a bunch of gun charges. Take a listen to some of these. Tyler Delp, 29, pleaded guilty to misdemeanor carrying a concealed gun, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. And he got one to three years in prison. Oh, but wait, it's a suspended sentence. So he's going to do supervised probation. A convicted felon carrying concealed. He's not allowed to do that. I mean, he's not allowed to do that. We need more laws, though, I think. I think that's the real lesson here, right? More laws. Michael Simmons, by the way, that was... uh, Judge Trosh, Louis Trosh, Superior Court judge, that gave him a suspended sentence. Um, Michael Simmons, 42, he pleaded guilty to attempted trafficking in opiates by possession and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Judge Trosh sentenced him to two to five years. Oh, but wait, those sentences were suspended too. He will have to do 45 days in the Mecklenburg County Jail, which the way Sheriff McFadden runs it, I mean, the guy could die there. That's it's a very real threat. Um, Then there's another team inside the DA's office called the Habitual Felon Team. They tried two people and they got four other guilty pleas. Keith Curitan, 42, tried four. Attempted first-degree murder, assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill, inflicting serious injury, three counts of discharging a weapon into an occupied vehicle, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and being a habitual felon. The jury found Curitan guilty on the discharging a weapon into an occupied vehicle and for being a habitual felon, but they found him not guilty of the remaining charges. So they convicted him for shooting into an occupied vehicle, but not possessing a firearm as a convicted felon. Yeah, people are stupid. How do you get there? I know, this is why I don't predict jury trials. People think, oh, do you think, they ask, oh, do you think he'll get convicted? I have no idea. I don't know how you do that. I do not know how you would, you would say, yes, you shot into that car, but I guess you didn't have possession of the gun. What? Um, The jury found him not guilty of the uh, remaining charges. Uh, This started, by the way, this crime, uh, 
started over a Facebook post. Curitan punched a guy over a Facebook post. I guess they ran into each other after the Facebook post. It started on Facebook, and then they ran into each other, so Curitan punched this guy. This other guy then responded with several punches of his own. Ultimately, a gun was drawn. I'm not saying who drew it, but this guy just got convicted for shooting it. So a gun was drawn. Curitan fired several shots, shooting and seriously injuring the other man. At trial, Curitan argued that he acted in self-defense. Now, anybody who's taken a concealed carry class, and Mr. Curitan not being a uh, a licensed legal carry uh, permit holder, I assume he did not get this advice. But I was told at the classes I attended, you don't get to go pick a fight with your fists and then draw your gun to kill the person. But I guess in Mecklenburg, maybe you do. That I don't know. That's Dana Denina. Denina Denina. Anyway, uh, 29 years old, pleaded guilty to two counts of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Two and a half to four and a half years in prison. No suspended sentence for Dana. And then there's Alfonso Sturdivant, pleaded guilty to two counts of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. He got sentenced to two and a half to four and a half years. Oh, wait, oh hang on a second. Then there's another one. Um, yeah. William Jones, 61, pleaded guilty to possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Are you sensing a pattern here? I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't want to give away too many hints, you know. But are you sensing a pattern? Have you detected what it might be yet? Just think about it. Okay. Uh, pleaded guilty to possession of a firearm by a convicted felon and possession with the intent to sell or deliver cocaine. And uh, Judge Trosh, in this case, sentenced uh, this fella to one and a half to uh, uh, just under three years. So 20 months to 33 months in prison. And no suspended sentence there. So uh, good job there, Judge Trosh. Um, Trying to look for the other judge. Oh, this was um, N. Hunt Gwynn, Superior Court judge, that uh, convicted the other uh, folks. And David Phillips, Superior Court judge. So there's an update on your crime stats. Oh, were you able to figure it out? What was the connecting issue? What was it? That's right. Assault weapons. That was it. It was all assault weapons. Gun laws on the books, if you enforce them against convicted felons, maybe you see some reduction in gun deaths.